Hello, I'm Glyn Fussell and welcome to We Can Be Heroes. In this podcast, I get to know creative misfits, underdogs, wild rebels and those people who have stuck one giant middle finger up to society and live life their way. I can't wait to introduce you to some people who embody what it means to be absolute champions. So prepare yourself as we dive in and meet some amazing individuals who have inspired, stood up for change and say, I am here. This week's hero can seg seamlessly from scrubs to sequins. He is a doctor by trade and can be seen on your TVs giving out medical advice as well as previously starring on Strictly Come Dancing. I might be out with friends in a club swinging from a pole and someone comes up to me and says, aren't you that doctor? But behind the uniform and costumes is a man who is paving the way for queer Asian representation in the mainstream. We don't often hear positive queer stories from people of colour because often their coming out is really bad or traumatic. It is the hard-working, gentle, superhuman Dr Ranj Singh. I've been a long-time fan and admirer of you. Ditto. Because I think what you stand for and everything that you embody is positivity, joyous, and you're not a one-trick pony. You do everything. <laughs> I try, Glyn. I try. You are the first doctor that we've actually had on the podcast. And I feel there is so much to talk about just going through that one career. I mean, you've had many, but just that one career and getting into the mind of a medic. And I always find it fascinating to talk to people and find out what their motivations are of why they got into that profession. So what made you want to get into medicine? I think my parents always wanted me to do something with my life. So that definitely mm. steered me in a certain direction. But as a kid, like I'm a weird dichotomy. I have this very curious scientific side of me, but also a very creative side of me. And so I was always fascinated as a, as a kid by the way things worked and what made things tick. And at the same time, and I don't know where this part comes from me, I think I was also a really empathic kid. I just wanted to help make people feel better. And I don't know if that's the LGBTQ kid in me, to be honest, but um, I had that desire to help others and try and make things better for other people. And so when you marry those two things together, medicine kind of seemed like a logical choice. And my parents were glad that that was the choice. <laughs> You've worked mostly with children in yeah. paediatric emergency medicine. I cannot imagine the challenging situations that you've been in throughout your career. And, and yet, whenever I've met you, you always, you're always smiling, you're always positive. <laughs> so how do you just manage that in your own life? Um, it's interesting. Whenever people think about paediatrics, they think it must be really sad. It must be really difficult. And don't get me wrong. There are moments when it is tough dealing with sick children and looking after their families as well can be really hard and we sometimes do deal with some pretty tough stuff but the vast majority of what I deal with in my medical job is wonderful it's amazing kids are awesome kids are young people and I say this time and time again are the best people in the world they are so wonderfully accepting understanding open and loving they just want to feel safe and they want to experience happiness and joy and that rubs off on you when you work with them I think and that's where I get that's where I get it I reckon but yeah I, I'm very very lucky I work in an amazing profession with incredible people and our job is to make the lives of kids and young people slightly better if we can at least. I think throughout the pandemic obviously there's been such a, a bright light that's been shone on the NHS and for good reason I mean my partner, 
has worked for the NHS. Yeah. I've, I've seen firsthand the struggle and what you're up against there. So do you think that through, especially through the pandemic, that there's, you know, you talked about empathy before, but that the general public are more empathetic for the people behind the scrubs now? Yeah, I hope so. I definitely hope there certainly was a point in the pandemic, you know, when we were clapping for everybody, that there was an empathy and there was a kind of an appreciation. I feel like some of that has been worn away or maybe slightly forgotten because we have moved on so far and the world is again a different place but now because we're dealing with the fallout and the backlog from the pandemic things are really hard things are probably harder now than they ever have been I reckon just because we're we're still dealing with a bit of covid that's inevitable but then we're dealing with everything else so all the other infections that are now coming back because we're mingling again and we're mixing all of the other illnesses that we've had to put to one side when we were dealing with the pandemic that we now have to deal with, especially mental health. Now, the mental health impact of the pandemic has been massive and we're going to be dealing with the fallout of that for a very, very long time. So, Mm. you know, people are struggling to get an appointment with their GP at the moment because the GPs are swamped. They're absolutely swamped trying to deal with all this stuff. And then the fallout is that people end up in A&E where I work because there's nowhere else to go. But then we're swamped as well because, you know, the sheer volume of stuff that is coming in. Um, I just, all I'm asking on behalf of, I suppose, myself and my colleagues is just a little bit of understanding Everyone is working flat out. They are trying their absolute best. There's not really much more that I think that we can give. It really needs a, a change from the top down. Well, how, you talked about uh, mental health and, and self-care is so important, but how do you, going through all of that, <laughs> dealing with all of that bad mental health, yeah. and you know, I, I think you don't need to work in the medical profession to see it. Yeah. We all feel it through our friends and our family how do you keep on top of your mental health because that must be so hard ranch yeah well it definitely was through the third lockdown I think I definitely struggled the one that was in the winter that was tough Mm. um as we all did for me interestingly it's about having a sense of achievement every day in some sort of shape or form so doing something that makes you feel like you've achieved something no matter how small it might be as little as getting up and just making your bed that for me is a small victory so doing something that makes me feel like I've achieved and also it's not just about the productivity for me it's about the gaps in between so the downtime the downtime, the connecting with other people, going to things like Hoopla, which, you know, <laughs> for me, I know it's a lot of fun. But for me, mentally, it's really, really positive because being surrounded by all of that joy and that beauty, those queer faces and queer spaces, you know, where we can be ourselves and be happy. That is really therapeutic. It really does work wonders for your mental health. And it's not just about having fun and catching up with your mates and, you know, maybe having a bit too much to drink or whatever and being silly. There is a real therapeutic joy in that kind of stuff, which is which is why, you know, for me, connecting with others like that is my therapy. Wow. I mean, you strike me as a... Hear me out on this one. A thoroughly modern doctor, <laughs> a sort of doctor for our generation. <laughs> I hope Get so. Get that on a t-shirt, Ranch. <laughs> Get it on a t-shirt. <laughs> and I've seen you before online, you know, 
taking your what would be your personal time to help people out. So do you ever think, please, I need some time off? Or is, is it just something that's so deep rooted in you to help that you just have to continue doing it? I think there's definitely, it's part of my nature. Absolutely. That's why I do the job that I do. And I'm really privileged and lucky to do the job that I do. Um, but yeah, like anybody, we're all human. We all need downtime. We all need time off sometimes. But I always come at it from a place of thinking, I'm so lucky. I'm so fortunate and privileged and I've got so much that other people don't I'm able-bodied I'm in a very fortunate situation I've got a job I've you know I'm able to if I can use whatever grace I've been given to help somebody else out even a little bit then that's what we're here for right (laughs) I would think to try and leave the world in a slightly better place than we found it that's what I'd like to think anyway. <laughs> uh, I couldn't agree more. And I think you're doing that. But something, something that I was thinking about once, once I, when I was, when I knew I was talking to you today is being a doctor, being anyone in the medical profession is such a selfless job. Yeah. Being a celebrity <laughs> goes hand in hand with being somewhat selfish. I mean, it's yes. just the nature of the beast. Yeah. So how, how would you straddle that? Because there's such conflicting yeah professions almost <laughs> i don't i don't think of my people use that word celebrity i i don't have any affiliation or relationship to that word at all it's <laughs> really weird it. it's really, yeah i suppose maybe i just don't think about it so much i think of if you want to call it celebrity i think of it as responsibility in a way so mm. um I guess that's how I framed it in my head because you can absolutely get carried away in that stuff you absolutely can but my medical job my day job grounds me it really brings me back down to earth and reminds me what's real and what matters to real people in everyday situations because health is something we all experience and poor health is something that we could all fall victim to so there's it's a great equalizer in in some ways but that really brings me back down to earth but yeah I guess I don't Maybe I don't invest in the celebrity side of it quite as well. I mean, you might look at my social media and think quite the opposite, but social media is a filtered world. Social media is not real life. Social media is all the bells and whistles. And what you don't see is the cracks and gaps. Yeah, <laughs> it is the smoke screen completely. Absolutely. And that's what it is. Social media for me is a show, whereas real life is the important stuff. So I guess perspective then is key, right? And being a doctor is the ultimate perspective on what totally, is happening in the world. Totally. Absolutely. And you and, and I like to think that I am one of those medics and there's lots of us out there who is open and approachable. I will treat everybody exactly the same, regardless of who they are, what their background is, how they identify. It does not matter to me. For me, I want you to feel comfortable, safe and like you're being heard and, and like you're going to be looked after. That's what I want. That's what I would want for any of my friends and family and myself. And that's what I hope that I make other people feel like. Does that ever backfire on you? I mean, have you ever been out at a club where somebody <laughs> comes up and just shows you a, a kind of slightly aggressive mole? <laughs> it hasn't really. I'm always worried about people showing me their ashes in the me tile. Uh, but the, the funniest time when it does backfire is you know i might be out with friends 
in a club swinging from a pole and someone comes up to me and says, aren't you that doctor? <laughs> mm. <laughs> At three o'clock in the morning and I'm like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> this is awkward. <laughs> but I hope, they, I hope they get to see that I'm human from that and that I like swinging from poles just like everyone else. Oh, don't we just. <laughs> so let's talk about your personal story and your journey because... I think your coming out is such an important one to share, especially for gay Asians. Mm. And you've said in the past that your intersections are your strength. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me how you got there. Oh, gosh. So I came out slightly later in life. I came out when I was 30. Prior to that, I'd been married to a woman. And yeah, my realisation, as it were, I suppose, came later on in life when I worked out in, I wasn't entirely happy. So I identify as queer. I don't, I mean, everyone, you know, identifies slightly differently when it comes to the LGBTQ plus sort of spectrum, but I identify as queer. And for me, that's about loving people as opposed to loving yeah. specific genders. So for me, the realisation came later on in life, but it was only because up until that point, there was always that niggling doubt in me about why do I not feel 100% happy? Like I had everything going for me at that point. I had a great career, wonderful family. Um, I had a great relationship. You know, my idea of happiness that I had that I was growing up, I was ticking all the boxes. It was all happening. And I was like, this is what I wanted. This is what I've always wanted. And I, I think culturally as well, obviously that was the expectation as well. Coming from an Indian background, you know, a lot of people have very uh, what I would call regular lives like that and I'd always thought that was where my happiness was going to be and it's only when I got to around 30 and the relationship had kind of started to sort of falter and, and I'd really started to think and question myself and then I went through a period of counselling that I thought hang on a second there's a whole part of me that I've ignored my entire life and that was hard because it really at the time it sounds quite dramatic it felt like I completely unraveled because the person who I thought I was wasn't me mm. and the person who I thought I was supposed to be and was expected to be wasn't me that wasn't my truth anymore and I didn't know what was my truth and I completely fell apart my relationship broke down and I as a person I think kind of fractured in a way and I always tell this story this part of the story quite fondly because it was my queer family that put me back together I discovered at that time where I was at my lowest ebb I discovered a chosen family that I didn't know existed that was always there and would always have been there and helped put me back together again and as I did they put me back together stronger and it was like I'd had this new lease on life. Like finally, in a weird way, I felt like I had permission to be me, 100% me. And things just got so much better. All of the, the horribleness that I'd gone through when I was trying to work out who I was and going through that process and, and coming out as it were and a lot of like the horrible feelings of shame and guilt and... Yeah. All of that kind of stuff and the really dark feelings that you get, all of that's melted away when I thought, hang on a second, there's this amazing community around me of these wonderful people who have chosen to 
who are willing to accept me for who I am. And the weird thing was, all of the people that I was panicking wouldn't accept me, like my friends and family all did exactly the same. They accepted me for who I was. And we don't often hear positive queer stories from people of colour because often their coming out is really bad or traumatic or even violent and horrible. And I think it's important every now and again to hear one or two really positive experience. And I had a largely very, very positive coming out experience and I was very, very lucky. How did you navigate sharing your sexuality with your family? Because your family are traditionally Sikh, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're Indian. Uh, quite, my parents are very traditional. My, I've got two younger brothers who obviously were born and grew up here, so have a very Western outlook on life. And they were incredible. They were the first people I told. And it was, wasn't easy to tell them, but the acceptance I got from them, the unconditional acceptance I got from them was Honestly, there's no feeling like that. And it certainly gave me strength to tell others. And eventually, you know, over time, as I kind of accepted who I was, it became easier for me to come out time and time again to other people, uh, people at work, extended family. Often what happened is people just worked it out, which was quite nice. <laughs> um, and then eventually the subject had come up with my parents quite early on, but it was so early that I didn't know how to talk to them about it. So I said, just give me some time. And then it wasn't until about 10 years later, we actually had that conversation. Wow. So it was when I was doing Strictly, there were some newspaper articles that came out about my sexuality, which I didn't really think were newsworthy, to be honest, but it came out. And because um, I'd up until that point, I'd been really open anyway, publicly. And I think my parents had just worked it out. <laughs> But somebody at my mum's work came up to her with one of these articles and said, what's this about? And I thought that was a really horrible thing to actually confront her with. And, and fortunately, she stood her ground and told them to go away, which was good. But then it started off a conversation, a proper conversation between us and my brothers. Obviously, we were really, really instrumental to that conversation. And, and I think... It was really weird. I thought my parents were going to freak out and just reject me, cause, which is often the fear we have, right, when we come out to those yeah, totally. who are closest to us, especially in, I think, Asian families, because we're so tight-knit. Family is everything to many of us. Um, and they were just wonderful. I, don't, I wouldn't say that they completely 100% got their head around it all, but their initial reaction was just of, why didn't you tell us? Why did you go through this by yourself? We're here for you. We're your family at the end of the day. It doesn't matter. And that was all I needed to hear from them. It's so yeah. interesting, isn't it? I was 19 when I came out and that felt late, but 30 for me. Mm. Do you often feel that because you came out later, all of these wonderful things that you've achieved since is because you're almost running that little bit faster? Totally. To catch up. Totally. So the last, between 30 and 40, I played catch up. Absolutely. I had so much catching up to do in terms of working out who I was, having, yeah. having experiences that I'd never had, exploring myself and my identity, just having fun and exploring my community and getting to know it and enjoy it and celebrate it. Pride, all of these things. I, I genuinely thought, do you know what? I've been given an opportunity to do this again and I'm going to make the most of it. And I, <laughs> and I certainly did. Well, I think your TV career really 
when you look at it, it, it has and is mm. joining the dots between your personal journey <laughs> and your medical background. And it does yeah. it so effortlessly as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I've been so lucky to do my media career kind of came about when I gave myself permission to be me, weirdly. And I think it's it's all about that being completely me and authentically me. It meant that I could really let go and just go with it and just make the most of every opportunity and not be scared. Yeah. Up until that point, I'd been so scared of things. Um, and then finally, I just had permission to, to run with it. And the TV stuff kind of just took off. It was never intentional. That was never my intention. I was never, didn't leave university thinking I want to be in telly. It just kind of happened. It, it, it felt like it was another part of me that I wanted to explore and off I went. How did you adjust to that? I mean, how, do you, how did you learn to keep things for yourself? Or, or do you even do that? Or do you just, are you just an open branch? <laughs> you know what? I've gone from being quite close to very open. And I learned that actually being open, for me, being open and visible and vocal and an advocate is really important. And I learned that because I needed that when I was growing up. And there are queer people of colour out there who need someone who is open and able to do that and show them that, you know, you can be queer and do X, Y and Z and do anything you like. Um I, I I don't I don't mind being open. I really don't. I I am very lucky to have the life I've got, and I love it now. So, looking at your life, even just talking to you within this short time, there's there's very clear themes that run through your life that are really important to you. How have you turned those into lessons that you want to share? That you want to put into your work, your books? Yeah, yeah who you are <laughs> yeah so books is a relatively recent venture for me I, I during essentially since the pandemic started I've started writing children's books and I've written a grown-up guide for kids I've written a learning and mental health guide for kids I've written two picture books celebrating the world around us for for little children um and celebrating the inherent superpowers and and, and qualities that everybody has that make them wonderful I guess one of the biggest things that I've learned in life is being kind and looking out for other people and giving to other people. And if you're in a place where you can give, making the most of that and trying to make things better for others, kindness to oneself and to those around you is never a bad thing. It, it can't be a bad thing. It only serves to make things better. And I, and I know it sounds really hippy-dippy and wishy-washy me saying that, but it's so true. Kindness costs absolutely nothing, but it can make the world an infinitely better place. And kindness can take many forms. It doesn't... It could be through generosity. It can be through time. And it can be through creating something for others that they value and cherish that helps them. Everything that I now do or try to do... I try to come from a place of kindness. I call it a kind mindset or a kind set, as it were, because I think everyone appreciates and values and cherishes that, regardless of who you are. I relate to that so much. In fact, I was thinking about what you do, what you stand for, and, and what I do and what I stand for. And even though it may look completely different, mm. there's a lot of similarities, actually. Yeah. And one thing is very clear in your new book, A Superpower Like Mine. Yeah. 
it's about finding your own superpower in this yes. mad world. Right? Yeah. So tell me about that book because I think it's so <laughs> powerful, so powerful to educate young kids about their own power, yeah. which doesn't often get taught to them. No, exactly. I maintain, as I said before, that kids and young people are the best people in the world. <laughs> they're unspoiled and they're wonderful. So I've written a couple of picture books. So it started off with Superhero Like You, which was a thank you to all of the frontline workers during the pandemic. And it's this next book is called A Superpower Like Mine. It's aimed at three to five year olds. So little kids mm. um, who are becoming aware of the world around them. And this is a story about a little girl who discovers that the human qualities that we all have, courage, kindness, bravery, imagination, um, adventure, compassion, all of these things that we've all got are actually superpowers and we can use them to make the world a better place. So super, you can be a superhero just by discovering these qualities that we all have and making the most of them. So I wanted it to feel empowering for little ones that actually they're incredibly amazing already inherently no matter where you come from or what your abilities are or how you identify you are inherently amazing you have so much wonderful potential in you that that in itself is pretty freaking spectacular let's find out what your super skill your superpower is and let's make the most of it and remember how wonderful you are that's the kind of message I wanted to get across in Superpower Like Mine. But again, and I've done this in both books, I also wanted it to have a strong focus on diversity. So I wanted to show the world and life in all its beautiful shapes and forms. So you'll see characters from different backgrounds, cultures, genders and abilities. So the main character in this book is a little girl called Femi, who's a black girl in a wheelchair. We don't see that very often. There's a little boy in the book called Oscar. He has Down syndrome. We don't see that in kids' books. There's a little girl called Amber who's got a prosthetic leg. There's a boy called Rowan who's inspired by my autistic nephew. And there's also a little boy called Finn who happens to have hearing aids because we don't really see that in kids' books. But coincidentally, in one of the spreads, and I'm really proud because a lot of the detail we've really thought about in this book, he's got two mums. And on his bedroom wall, he has a pride progress flag. And we don't talk about this at all mm. because I wanted to normalize that diversity. It's normal. It's just a part of life. And I wanted little ones to see that. And someone somewhere will see that flag on the wall and say, we've got one of those at home. Mm. That's what I want them to do. I think it's so amazing to take all of these, what could have been, fractures what could have been really negative experiences in your life yeah twist them make them your superpower and then give them to other children i think is amazing oh, thank you thank you very much and it's only because of people who've come before us and people like you who give us the confidence and i think the strength to be able to do that so thank you as well so what's coming next for you we've done <laughs> doctor presenter <laughs> author Sequin wearing dancer, <laughs> columnist. What what comes next? Because oh gosh, <laughs> prime minister. Prime minister. No, 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 no. Politics is really not my thing. I'm too <laughs> potty mouth for politics. <laughs> I, I'd love to do a bit more creative stuff. So I've got pantomime coming up later this year, which I'm super excited about. I've got a cabaret show and some cruise ships. <laughs> and next year, I've got some more books coming out. So fingers crossed that all goes to plan. Who knows? Who knows? I'm open to 
this wonderful life. world of opportunities to life. life. Absolutely. You never know what's around the corner. That's what the last two, three years has taught me. You never know what is around the corner. Grab life now and make the most of it while we can. I think that's the perfect way to wrap this podcast up. Ranch, <laughs> you're amazing. You're so amazing. You're Thank so incredible. You. You're a very inspiring human being. As are you, darling. Thank you so much. <laughs>